Negro Leagues Baseball was so popular that black churches would move their service time up an hour so fans could go to the game. If you know anything about the black church, you'll mess with service time. There were African-American professional ball players in the 19th century. But segregation starts to tighten its hold. Well, what do you do? We can do this on our own. A few entrepreneurs see that a black club can be a successful business. Rube Foster, light years ahead of his time. Effa Manley. The first lady of black baseball. Negro Leagues players made the game more up-tempo. Bunt and run. Base stealing. These incredibly acrobatic catches. The major leaguers would say that the Negro Leagues didn't play the game the right way. Really, that was saying they didn't play the game the white way. Wherever you had successful black baseball, you typically had thriving black economies. You have vendors and you have advertising. You know, people were making money from it. But integration was going to kill their businesses. It was good morally, but that progress came at a cost. White fans saw a kind of baseball they had never seen before. The great ball players of the leagues. Jackie Robinson. Buck Leonard. Satchel Paige. Willie Mays. Cool Papa Bell. Hank Aaron. Oscar Charleston. Joshua Gibson. We transformed the game. They are a part of a movement. For we coined the term civil rights movement. Man, they didn't care about making no history. They just wanted to play ball. But the pride, the passion, the courage in the face of adversity, that's the real story. Emmy Award winning and Academy Award nominated filmmaker Sam Pollard joins us now for a conversation about his new documentary, The League, which you've just heard tells the story of the Negro League and the way it revolutionized baseball. Sam Pollard, good to have you on KBLA Talk 1580. How are you today, sir? I'm good talking to you. How are you doing, Travis? Man, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm doing well. Glad to have you on the program. And uh, congratulations on. Um, this powerful, powerful documentary. Um, I always love the backstory. Um, with all the things that you could have uh, focused your your lens on, why the Negro League? Well, it really happened about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. A gentleman named Byron Bodley, whose dad had been a Negro League umpire in the forties and fifties, reached out to me about wanting to do a documentary about the Negro Leagues. I knew a little bit about the Negro Leagues growing up in New York in the sixties. I knew about Satchel Page and Josh Gibson, but I didn't know about people like Ethel Manley and Ruth Foster. So this was a really interesting way to learn the complex history of the evolution of the Negro Leagues in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. When you say the evolution of the Negro Leagues, tell me about that part, the evolution of the league. Well, Ruth Foster, who was a phenomenal pitcher, who was the manager, who was an owner of the Chicago American Giants, in 1920, decided to bring together a bunch of Negro League executives and create the Negro National League. They had their own league, much like the major leagues. Mm-hmm. And they decided they were going to play against each other. And a few years later, there was the Colored National Negro League that came along, and they played against the Negro National League. And they were able to have their own teams in the Midwest and in the Northeast. 
And then that, that league folded in the late 20s, but then another league came about in the 30s through two gentlemen, Composey of uh, the Homestead Grays and Gus Greenlee of the Pittsburgh Crawfords. And they created an East-West Classic where teams from the East and teams from the West would get together like the National League, like the American League, the Major League All-Star Game and play against each other. But it was a phenomenal period. And you had great players coming along like, you know, Cool Papa Bell and Satchel Page, you know, and Josh Gibson. You know, it was just a wonderful time. And then by the 40s, people like Monty Irving and Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby were playing. And then things changed after Jackie Robinson got selected to be a part of the major leagues through Branch Rickey and the Brooklyn Dodgers. Yeah, um, we know that part of the story fairly well these days. Uh, we'll get back to that in a second, I think. Um, but what, what's fascinating for me um, is the way, and you explore this, of course, in the documentary, the way that black baseball was an economic uh, force, a social pillar in these black communities. Um, one has to laugh and one hears that black churches would move the time of the services so that black folk could get to these games. Clearly, this was, a again, a pillar, a social pillar in the community. As I said earlier, it was an economic force to be reckoned with, reckoned with uh, in the community. Tell me about that part of the story. Well, this is an important thing to remember. You know, during the time of Jim Crow and segregation, black communities had to figure out how to survive. Mm -hmm. They had to create their own businesses. They had to create their own ways to make a living. So when Negro League owners decided to put together their teams, it was a way to not only entertain the black community, but to economically help the black community. They created not only the teams, but they also created concession stands and vendors. They created places where people could go and, and watch games, but also buy food and, and be entertained. So like other things within the black community, like in terms of self-sufficiency, this was another way that the community was self-sufficient during a time of horrific Jim Crow and segregation mm -hmm. when we were told we were second-class citizens. Yeah. Um, I could spend an hour, hours, um, talking about uh, the unintended consequences of integration. In fact, over my career, I have spent hours <laughs> in a variety of places talking to a variety of people about the unintended consequences of integration. Um, how do you explore that particular subject in the doc? Well, you know, in, in 1964, Tavis, I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking back then, Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball. What a great plus for African-Americans. But there was a downside to it that most of us didn't realize or understand the complexity of it. Mm -hmm. Here we were within our own communities in Harlem, in New York, in Bronzeville, in Chicago, in Tulsa, with Black Wall Street, in Los Angeles many thriving black communities. And so here comes Jackie Robbins, the integrates Major League Baseball. What happens to the Negro League teams? They start to lose their players to the Major League. Mm -hmm. What happens to black communities with the rise of the Civil Rights Movement? Now, we know there's pros and cons about the Civil Rights Movement, but these communities start to lose their players, they start to lose their businesses, and they start to struggle and suffer, you know, because... With, before, you know, integration took a hold, took hold, you know, the black communities had working class people and professional people all living in the same community. But with integration happening, things change. But the thing to remember, and I think you understand this, when we say integration in America, in many places, there's still segregation in America. So this notion of integration is sort of, a, you know, 
there's a sort of complexity to it that people don't really die, you know, really dig into. And I think we want you to understand that, you know, integration is an upside and a downside to it that we should always be aware of. And that's what we try to do in, in telling the story of the Negro Leagues. Yeah, it's it's a um it is it's a subject fraught with all kind of tension, uh, to be sure. Uh and again, as I said, I've had many, many conversations over the course of my three decade career about the upside and the downside of integration and it's uh it's it it's 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 uh, prevalent and and uh, and present uh, in this uh, documentary uh, called The League, uh, which tells the story of the Negro League and the way it revolutionized baseball. When we come forward, the director uh, of that project, the filmmaker Sam Pollard, uh, we'll talk about Effa Manley, the iconic Effa Manley, the activist owner of the Newark Eagles and the only woman ever admitted to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll talk about her when we come forward with Sam on KBLA Talk 1580. Well, Ethel Manley is a fascinating character, Todd Tavis. Here she was, and, and there was this sort of discussion, was she really a black woman? Was she a white woman? But I don't really think it matters. Here she was. She married a gentleman named Aid Manley, and she became co-owner of the Newark Eagles. And uh, she led the team to, the 19, to win the 1946 Negro League World Series. But what really stands out about her was, and people didn't realize this, and I didn't know this when we were doing the film, that Branch Rickey, who signed Jackie Robinson and Roy Campanella and Don Newcomb, never compensated the Negro League owners for these three players. Mm. And Ethel Manley made made a lot of noise about that in the in the pub, in, in the media and publications, and basically felt that Negro League owners should be compensated for these players being signed by white white major league owners. And uh, I think you got to applaud that, you know. And she was able to get Bill Veck of the Cleveland Indians to compensate her for the services of Larry Doby, who became the first African-American ball player in the American League. So she's a fascinating, fascinating human being. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious now. Did did so? So Branch Rickey never paid anybody, as 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 the story goes. Never paid anybody. So you know the mythology of. When we see that footage of those those photos of Branch Rickey signing Jackie Robinson, mm-hmm. well, he never paid the Kansas City Monarchs for signing Jackie Robinson. <laughs> you know, mm. I, my question I ask myself is, what did Don Newcomb and Campanella and Jackie think about that? Yeah. You know, that would be a good question to to find out. Yeah, um, and and I, I <laughs> my my assumption is that nobody ever asked him that question on the record. Probably never did. Somebody should have. Yeah. <laughs> point, point well taken. Uh, more when we come forward with Sam Pollard, uh, filmmaker behind this new documentary called The League, about the impact of the Negro League. We're having this conversation on the eve of the All-Star Game tonight in Seattle. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Sam Pollard, in light of the All-Star Game tonight again in Seattle, um, what's your take on the way the Negro League revolutionized baseball as we know it even today? Well, when you think about baseball and you think about the impact of the Negro Leagues in terms of bunt and run and stealing bases, if you look at the, the evolution of the game when black players integrated Major League Baseball from Jackie Robinson to Maury Wills to Ricky Henderson to Willie Mays, they changed the whole style and the tempo of the game. And think about it this way, you know, Tavis. Anytime black athletes have went into 
primarily white sports back in the 20th century, be it baseball, football, or basketball, they brought to those games what I call the black athletic aesthetic that Nelson George talked about in my Bill Russell documentary. Mm -hmm. And they revolutionized the game. And people don't really want to understand and deal with the fact that American culture, American culture, is a lot to have to do with the African-American experience. It's informed by the African-American experience. And if people understood that in terms of clothing, in terms of music, in terms of language, it's all part of what makes America what it is today. No, no question about that. Um, the documentary is called The League, uh, and as you've heard in this conversation for the last 30 minutes, uh, it uh, tells the story of the Negro Leagues and the impact that they uh, they had on baseball even today. Uh, I've got just a few minutes left in this conversation, Sam, and I want to just pivot, if I can, ever so gently. And I've never had a chance to say this to you publicly, uh, but I want to say this to you now. Um, I celebrate, even all these years later, you're being nominated for an Academy Award uh, along with Spike Lee for the documentary Four Little Girls. I raised that because yesterday on this program, um, we look back on what happened in Birmingham 60 years ago uh, through the eyes of an author who was looking at that iconic photo of this young black teenager uh, who police uh, were, were sicking two German shepherds on. You know the photo, of course. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we were talking about that photo yesterday, uh, 60 years later, and here you come today, uh, uh, Academy Award nominee for that documentary, Follow the Girls. Let me just say to you, I've said this to Spike, but never to you, um, to my mind, with all the brilliance of Spike's work, he's done nothing better. I love Malcolm X. I love Spike's corpus, but he has done nothing better to my mind then four little girls and the two of y'all did that together. Um, when you look back on that documentary and how here we are 60 years later, um, what do you make of that iconic work that you and Spike put in? Well, all I can say to you, Travis, is it was for me, it was working on that film was like spending time with my family. Mm. You know, I, I'm my family's from Mississippi. My family's from Georgia. And so when Spike did those interviews and I was in the editing room putting those interviews together and listening to those people talk about their experiences growing up in Birmingham in the, in the 50s and the 60s and what happened to those four t- young girls in the church and in the Birmingham church bombing, you know, it just it was really one of these films that was special to me then and is still very special, you know. And I was just in Birmingham for this film, for the league, last year. So, you know, it's it's always a, a special, special place to go and to remember such a horrific moment in our history. Yep. Henry Lewis Skip Gates Jr., um, uh, iconic African-American scholar, uh, characterizes Sam Pollard's work this way. When I think about his documentaries, they add up to a corpus, a way of telling African-American history in its various dimensions. Those are the words of Skip Gates out of Harvard, um, any way you take it, any way you put it. Sam Pollard is a bad man. He's done some amazing work down through the years. His latest is called The League. It focuses on, again, the Negro Leagues and the impact they've had revolutionizing baseball as we know it. Uh, but again, I think uh, <laughs> some of his best work uh, is Four Little Girls. And if you've never seen that documentary about the uh, 16th Street church bombing in Birmingham and what happened to these four little girls. It's the best thing I think he and Spike have ever done. Uh, so, Sam, congrats on all your work. Congrats, especially on the the most recent piece, The League. And thank you, sir, for this conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you, Travis. Enjoy the rest of your day. Likewise, my friend. More of Travis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580.